Amen. Good morning, Faith family. Hey, can we just thank the Lord for our worship team this morning? Grateful for them. Yeah. Awesome. Hey, it's good to be back with you today. I certainly missed uh, being here last week. We were, we were suffering for Jesus in Topsail, on Topsail Island. I'm just joking. It's awesome. Um, I did preach at a church there. Had an incredible time preaching in Topsail. But man, I sure did miss you. Um, however, I did catch the, the message online. I thought Pastor Tyler did an incredible job. So I'm grateful for Pastor Tyler. Grateful for his leadership uh, here last week week. Um, today we're going to continue in the book of Romans, so go ahead and grab your Bibles, turn to Romans chapter 6. We're going to be in Romans chapter 6, starting in uh, verse 15. We'll read that in just a few uh, moments. Before we read the text and dive into the sermon, I do want to take just a second to pray together um, as a faith family. Uh, we want to pray today for our missions team that will uh, depart for Okoe Outreach next Sunday. So next Sunday, Father's Day. Um, we have a team that will be leaving out seven-ish in the morning, heading to Okoe Outreach. I'm actually going to attend this trip as well, but I'm going to preach first, and then uh, my son and I will will jump in a vehicle and head to Cleveland, Tennessee. Incredible ministry uh, there in Cleveland, Tennessee. Uh, Okoe Outreach does a lot. They do a lot of different things. Our group uh, this year will be building a wheelchair ramp. So that, that will not be our only task. However, it's a major project. It's not our only uh, project. We're, we will be working alongside of other uh, churches throughout the week. We'll have plenty of opportunity within the neighborhood that we're going to be working in to share the gospel with those folks. So we're super excited about uh, that as well. But if you can just pray for our team that God would give us safety, that God would allow us to have gospel conversations while we're there uh, in Cleveland. Uh, that'd be amazing. So let's bow together, bow our heads, close our eyes, and let's, let's uh, pray for our mission team that's going to Okoe Outreach, leaving next Sunday. Father, we do thank you, um, Lord, for your word. We thank you that we are called to reach our own community, reach our state, reach our nation, and reach our world. And we see this in your word in Acts 1-8, as we reach our Jerusalem, our Judea, our Samaria, our ends of the earth. And God, as we have this team that's leaving for Okoe Outreach next Sunday, I pray that you'll just give them grace in their travel, God, that you'll give um, opportunities for gospel conversations to be had. Lord, as we join hands with some of the local churches there, God, that you'll help us to be an encouragement to them. God, we thank you that we have the opportunity to live on mission. As we think about our summer and the teams that are going to Hungary and Mexico City and the camps, that are taking place, God, we're just so grateful that we can send people out um, to do the work of the ministry. And God, we ask that you'll go before us in, uh, in this endeavor to Cleveland next week. And then as we get closer to the other trips and we pray for those, God, we ask your blessings upon them as well. And we pray all of this in the powerful name of King Jesus and all God's people said. Amen and amen. Thank you so much for praying for our team that will leave uh, next week. I do want to start by sharing with you a story that I read, uh, and it's revolved around Roman mythology. It's a story that I was not familiar with. You may be really familiar with it, but for me, it was new. It's a story of a, a man named Narcissus. Now, you may know this story. He uh, was seen to be an incredibly handsome man, apparently super, super handsome, much like um, your pastor, just really a hand joke. That's totally a joke, 100% a joke. But, um, but he, he was seen to be a handsome man, so handsome that he was traveling by a spring one day, and he looked down into that spring water, and he saw his reflection in the water. Again, this is in Roman mythology, and 
he noticed his reflection and he thought, man, what a handsome man. He, he fell in love with his reflection. He fell in love with himself. He just loved himself so much. So he wanted to just reach down and, and give that reflection a kiss. And when he goes to do that, he kisses the water. The ripples of the water take away his reflection. Well, he made a commitment right then and there. He said, you know, I never want my reflection to go away. So I'm going to commit to no longer hydrating myself because I want just to be able to look down at this water and see this handsome man that is before me. Well, as the story goes, he didn't drink any more water and he eventually died. You see, this person, Narcissus, he was consumed with himself. His own intentions demanded energy of himself, demanded admiration of himself, demanded devotion of himself. So much so that this is where we get the word narcissist today. Now, this may not be your struggle. I, I realize that that could be the case. But here's what we're going to see in our text. As we begin to unpack what Paul is saying here, we will see that we do have this aim in life and our aim is either to be enslaved to sin like Narcissus he was enslaved to himself which was sinful or a servant of God now it may not look like narcissism for you or I but what about busyness of life are you enslaved or entrapped by the busyness of life do you live your life for achievement are you living your life realizing that, hey, I'm, I'm important and I have a lot to achieve, so I'm keeping my phone beside me at every hour of every day because I have much to do. And I wear this busyness as a badge of honor, enslaved to work. There are others that are enslaved to relationships, so much so that they can become chameleon-like, meaning... I can be one way in church or I can be another way at home with my family or another way with my, my work friends or another way with my friends that I grew up with. And I, I allow myself to become a chameleon. Here's why. Because I desperately need approval and I'm fearful of aloneness. So it could be busyness. It could be relationships. It also could be that there are some who are enslaved to possessions. What this means is, man, I'm, I'm so engaged with money. Money means so much to me because it's a way for me to keep score. And if I can, if I can keep score and have the, the newest boat or the newest car or the nicest home, well, now I feel like my life matters to me. I feel satisfied. I feel content, even though we know that's fleeting, the chase is ever before this person who is enslaved to possessions and money. Now, you and I, we, we know that this list could literally go on and on and on. The point that your pastor is trying to make today is we all serve something. We all serve something. We are either serving sin or we are serving God. It's a matter of identifying whom or what we are serving. We can choose sin or we can choose God. To kind of help build our mind frame for the text today, we're going to talk about what sin is by way of catechism. So you'll see on the screen a question, what is 
sin, the answer, uh, we will answer collectively together um, as, a, as a body of believers in the room here. So here's the question. What is sin? Answer, we're going to say this together. Sin is rejecting or ignoring God in the world he created, rebelling against him by living without reference to him, not being or doing what he requires in his law, resulting in our death and the disintegration of all creation. Awesome job. Let's stand together in honor of reading the word of God, if you're willing and able this morning. Romans chapter 6, starting in verse 15. If you're there, we say amen. amen. How many of you are excited today? Happy to be here? Come on, somebody. My Gators won the Super Regional in baseball, and they are going to Omaha to the College World Series, which literally means nothing to anyone in this room. But all my friends and family who are watching online back in Florida, I know you're celebrating. So here we go. Um, grateful, uh, grateful to be here today to worship alongside of you, brothers and sisters, today. Romans chapter 6, starting in verse 15, says this, What then? We see this phrase, what then, take place several times in Romans. And Paul is addressing something that uh, he wants to make very, very clear. And so I, I believe this is the third time he does this. What then? Are we to sin because we are not under law but under grace he very emphatically says by no means do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves you are slaves of the one whom you obey either of sin which leads to death or of obedience which leads to righteousness verse 17 but thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed and having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. Verse 19, last verse for today. I'm speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. May God bless the reading and proclamation of his, his word today. You may be seated. Now, once again, as we dive in here in verse 15, we see a restating that grace is not simply a free ticket to do whatever you want, whenever you want, however you want. Grace is not a license for us to sin. This is both morally and spiritually ludicrous to think this way. And that is exactly what Paul wants to portray here as he is saying, does this mean that we should continue in sin? Does grace mean that we have a license? By no means. Here's what grace means. Grace means that we are freed from the penalty of sin. Our justification is secure. Christ died on the cross to atone for my sins and for your sins, past, present, the ones we haven't gotten to yet, and we rejoice in that. That is grace. Grace is not a, a permission slip to do whatever you want in life. Remember, we have talked about crucifixion in two forms. One, in justification, Christ dying for our sins. The death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus means that we are justified before God. That only happens once. Jesus doesn't need to die on the cross again and again and again. When we are saved, we are fully saved, and we praise God for that. So we see that crucifixion. We also see how we are to die to ourselves. So there's crucifixion in terms of us waking up every day, looking in the mirror, and saying, today, Zeb, you die to yourself. 
so that Christ can live, Christ can reign in your life. You're going to die to yourself so that he can be seen as glorious and good in your life. This is sanctification. This is where we grow uh, to be more and more like him day in and day out. That you can live your life as a Christian free from any guardrails. This is not a hypothetical argument. This is not a theoretical argument. This is an argument that exists today amongst a certain constituent of, uh, of believers in Jesus. They feel that what you say and what you do is completely discretionary. You can, you can make that decision for yourself. It doesn't matter if the decision is seen as one that is displeasing to God because you're under grace, man. You're under grace. You can do whatever you want. Now, we know that that way of thinking, when you say it out loud, feels very irrational. Here's why, because it is. You see, they think any pursuit of obedience to Christ, any pursuit of holiness, pursuing holiness and honoring Christ in your life, they think that to be legalism, meaning that freedom in Christ is this freedom for us to live however we want to live. We don't want to lessen the work of Christ by being legalistic. We need to know how erroneous that is. We do not simply get a reprieve from the conviction of sin in our own life, in our own day-to-day -day life, because we're under grace. No, we are called to honor Jesus with our lives. We want we want the scripture to speak to us here. And the scripture says that we are called to be doers of the word. No, we are not saved by works. The Bible is very, very clear here. Works do not save us. We're not living this way to try to earn God's salvation in our life. No, we can't. But one that is truly saved, the Bible says you are marked with a new name, new desires, new life. You have a new pathway. Uh, there's, a, there's a new route that you are taking. Now, if you think about how this plays out, just rationally speaking, or I suppose it could be irrational depending on how you look at it. If you look at how this plays out to the one who thinks you can just do whatever you want, then that person could say, well, you know what? I, I, can, I can choose to leave my spouse, not because my spouse has done anything egregious to me, but because I simply don't like the way they look anymore. I'm just tired of them. I'm just, I'm just getting bored with them. And God, you see, God wants me to be happy. So I can just make this decision on my own and I'm free to do it because I'm under grace. Or if you look at it this way, listen, I need to promote myself and advance myself and it will never happen unless I tell this lie, God knows my heart. I can lie. I can lie. It's fine for me to lie, to put myself in a better light. Or maybe gossip is the situation. I, I know I shouldn't share this, but, you know, if I look at, comparatively speaking, if I look at other people, man, they seem to be doing far worse than this. So I can gossip. God's not bothered by that. I am under grace. Again, sounds silly when we say it out loud to think that we are somehow liberated from the conviction of our wrongdoings in the day-to-day -day life that we live in, in pursuit of Jesus, man, we need to understand that very quickly our thinking can become distorted and it, it can become warped. And Paul wants those to know that, hey, when you start thinking that grace somehow means that we can do whatever we want, however, however we want, he wants them to know 
our stance here is by no means. In verse 15, the last part, he says, are we to sin because we're not under law but under grace? By no means. This is the strongest negative denial possible in the Greek language. It could be translated like this, no a thousand times over. Like absolutely not. We are not called to live that way, meaning the way that we want to live, however we want, whatever we choose. We're not hedonist in the sense of, uh, hey, yeah, now that you're a Christian, just do what feels good. May it never be. I'm fully convinced that we cannot just be great at doctrine, which is a set of beliefs. We can't just be great at doctrine and not great at application. I'm going to unpack that more in just a second, but it reminds me of the illustration that a pastor once gave. Uh, he talked about a duck church. Yes, you heard me correctly, a duck church, meaning there are, are, are ducks that waddled into the sanctuary, and there's a preacher that's a duck, and the duck preacher preached a fantastic sermon. He preached about how God created their wings, and their, their wings were given to them because they are meant to soar, man. They are meant to fly. And guess what? Man, all the ducks in the congregation, they, amen, and they, man, it quacked throughout the audience, right? Go with me. And, uh, and so when he finished the sermon, they were fired up because they had learned that they were made to soar. Well, they said amen, and all the ducks waddled out of the sanctuary, and they waddled back to their homes, never flying in the way that the duck preacher said they were created to fly. What does that mean for us? It means that we are not just to get stuck on right thinking, right thinking, right thinking. That is incredibly important, and I don't want you to mishear me. I am so for biblical education, so much so that no one in my family has ever, uh, I was the first in my family to go to college at that point. No one in my family had ever uh, been to college, and so I, I went to college, played baseball for a while, and then felt called to ministry, so I went to seminary, and I do not mean this in any type of uh, arrogant manner that is not my heart posture at all I want to paint a picture um, when I went to seminary I, I was able to confer two graduate degrees and, and then I finished a doctorate degree actually flying to New Orleans today I did my doctorate degree in New Orleans uh, grateful for biblical education all right but we see something in scripture we see these men who who were deemed as being men who were uneducated. As a matter of fact, the literal line that was said to them was, we can tell you are uneducated men. But then there was a but. Here, here's the but. They said, but we can see that you have been with Jesus. Here's what's important. Yes, education. Yes, doctrine. Yes, right belief. I am all about that. If you know anything about me, man, I'm a stickler for sticking to the word of God. We're going to go through the word piece by piece. And while I'm, I'm fallible, the word of God is infallible. And we believe it and we trust it and we're sticklers for it. We want right thinking and right belief. But brother and sister, we need to be with Jesus. Come on, somebody. We need to know him and be known by him. My dad is a good example. When I was 17, he got saved. I went to college at 17. Didn't see him as a saved man very, very long, but God has used him the last uh, 20 plus years to preach the gospel. He preaches every week at uh, what is known as the town square where, where we grew up. And I got to tell you, this man, when I say barely graduated high school, it was one of those things that we're graduating you to get you out of here. We don't want to see you again kind of thing. Um, and, and he has he has very very little education 
even even from his high school days but man he is powerful in the word the the spirit of god is in him he has been with jesus so here's what i want us to understand it is important it is critically important for us not to be educated beyond our obedience because god's word always leads to action so why do i say all that well based out of verse 15 there was this argument of can we just sin since we're under grace by no means why because god changes your life he changes your want to's he changes your desires interpreting teaching and explaining it doesn't automatically lead to a changed life just amening in church doesn't lead to a changed life we need to put feet to that now verse 16 in verse 16 paul reminds us he uses a pretty good illustration here to remind us that we can't serve two masters He uses a metaphor of slavery that can be difficult for many of us, but we need to make it very clear that he is not condoning slavery. He's simply speaking in a natural language that was understood in Roman times. It's very familiar to those in Rome, so Paul uses it to make a point. History states that in first century Rome, about one-third of the population were slaves. So you'd either, you were either you know enslaved or you had once been enslaved and it was likely that over half of the roman church that paul is writing to it is likely that over half of them were either enslaved or had once been enslaved the point that paul is making here is we are either servants of sin or we are servants of god sin brings about further slavery sin brings about further bondage sin brings about further imprisonment and paul is saying that when you give your life to that you become chained all the more how many of you have found for example in your life that whenever you gave an inch towards sin and you can identify that sin to be whatever it is in your life because it's it's probably different for many in the room but when you took a step towards that sin how many of you found that you couldn't just dabble in it and then get out of it and you're okay no you found that that step took you a whole lot further than you ever intended on going that's my one of my best friends growing up that's his story i just talked to him this week i've mentioned him a lot um, in my sermons his name is dirty cakes all right there's a whole story behind that but childhood friends grew up in an excellent family i always wanted to go to his house because they had the best food they had this nice big place i mean dirty cakes had it all but when we were in high school, he made one small step. It wasn't a big deal. Turned into something else, turned into something else. And in our early 20s, early 20s, he was arrested and sent to prison. Wow. I remember going to see him in that prison, and I said, Dirty, how did you get here, man? And he said, Zeb, I just kept taking those steps. And he said, eventually something grabbed me that I just couldn't shake. I never would have seen myself here. My mom comes and she weeps. She can't even see me. She just sits here and she cries. One step led to slavery. It led to bondage. It led to imprisonment. The reason I bring him up is because the other side of that coin is serving Christ brings freedom. It brings liberation. Hey, in Christ, hear this. You are completely unfettered. You are unchained, man. Those, 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 uh, bonds that are on you are no more praise God for this so I talked to 
Dirty Cakes this week, and he said, hey, Zeb, God's changed his life tremendously. God's done an incredible work in his life. He's now in his 40s, and God has just done so much in him. He's out of prison and just using his life to the glory of God. He said, Zeb, I got to tell you something. He said, you remember coming to see me in the Dixie County prison? I said, yeah, Dirty, I remember coming to see you. He said, hey, in that same prison, I started a ministry a couple of weeks ago. And he said, God is doing an amazing work. He said, I want you to come down and preach sometime. He said, I'm just so fired up because here's the place that I was bound up. And now I am free, not only physically speaking, but in my spirit, I am free. And I want these men in this prison to know that they too can experience that. Come on. You're either a slave to sin. Or you're serving God. We can't serve sin and God. We cannot do both. Yes, we will mess up. Yes, we have to contend with sin for the rest of our lives on this side of heaven but we need to know that it's not natural to us anymore because we are new creations in Christ and when we do understand this it should cause us to erupt in praise and this is exactly what Paul does in verses 17 and 18 he erupts in praise look at 17 he says but thanks be to God man that you were once slaves of sin have become obedient to the heart from from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed and having been set free from sin, you become slaves to righteousness. What is he saying here? Paul is saying, your heart's changed. And I praise God for that. I'm breaking out in praise because I used to be Saul. I was a persecutor of the church. I was doing everything I could to stop the movement of Jesus. But God met me on that Damascus road, and he changed my heart. And I'm now committed to him, and I'm thankful to, to that, to, for that. And I'm praising God for you that you are no longer slaves, but you are sons and daughters of the Most High King. <laughs> And your heart has been changed. You see, confession of Christ is more than acknowledging truth. It is transformation, brother and sister. It is heart transformation, heart surgery. And I, I'm grateful for that heart surgery that takes place in us when God does the work in us. Paul breaks out into this doxology, if you will. I remember we did go to church some growing up, and at that church we sang the same song every time we went. And it was the doxology. Anybody familiar with the doxology? I tried to remember it. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him all creatures here below. Uh, what's the next part? Praise Him above you, heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Close? Yeah, I remember that. And I remember we broke out and praised with it. I thought it was strange, but now that I'm a believer, I walk around the house singing that. I walk around the house saying, man, I'm grateful for this doxology of how God, praise be unto him, how God has changed my life. New heart, new nature that now rejects sin, and I want holiness. So my doctrine, which is my set of beliefs, my doctrine, how I'm studying, this is to lead me to obedience. It's not merely knowledge. It's designed not for hearing alone, but to help me put feet to my faith. This is what James says. He says, be doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, is like a man who looks at his natural face in the mirror and forgets what he sees. We're not to look in the mirror when we come to church or when we get in the word in our, in our weekly private devotional life. We're not to look in the mirror of the word and then just go walk however we want to walk, forgetting who we are. No, know who you are in Christ. Just like those old ducks, they needed to know how they were created and they needed to know it to the point to where it caused them not to waddle out of there. We need to know who we are in Christ so that we're not pursuing self, so that we're not pursuing sin, so that we're not enslaved to sin, but we are following him. Don't forget who you are in Jesus. In the last verse, in verse 19, 
the truth of Paul's illustration comes to life. Now, this illustration is paradoxical in nature, but it's supposed to be that way. Here's why. Yes, when you give yourself to sin, sin abounds all the more, and you're enslaved to sin, you're further enslaved. You're serving sin, you're gonna keep on serving sin because you're gonna get entrenched in that. And so that's, that's right and normal. The paradox comes in whenever we see that when we are enslaved to Jesus, you're not in bondage. Quite the opposite, you are free. When you're enslaved to Christ, you are set free. There is hope for you. You have this new way of living that is full of joy and contentment and satisfaction. No, your life's not going to be perfect. And yes, you are going to have days where you struggle in these areas. But the difference in the one that goes to work with joy in their heart on a Monday morning while everyone else is mad the difference in the one who is patient with their spouse, patient with their children, patient with their friends and family. The difference is God's given me a new heart. I'm not perfect. I've got my own struggles, but God has given me a new heart. This is the source of uh, the greatest freedom a human could ever know. The source of this is Jesus. I teach our, we, we teach, my wife and I, our children all the time, this principle of sowing and reaping. We love this principle because it helps so much in parenting. We teach our kids what you put into the ground is what comes out. If you sow something that's bad, there's consequences to that. That's what you're going to reap. If you sow something that's good, you'll reap that. It's a biblical principle, and yes, there's grace and there's things, but we generally, that's how we parent. That's the rule. And I love to use this principle because it helps me to know that when God is calling us to serve him and to give our lives to him, hear this, this is so good. It's for the glory of God, but hear this, it's also for our good. Did you know this? Like it's in your best interest to give your life to Jesus. Like your life changes, it opens up. You're no longer held by possessions or relationships or the need for approval or the need to achieve or the need to be so focused on who you are. Man, you are free in, in Christ from all of that. It's for his glory, but it's for your good. And Galatians 6 says, a man reaps what he sows. Whatever, whoever sows to please the flesh from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the spirit from the spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary in doing good. Why? For at a proper time we'll reap a harvest if we give up. Brother, sister, don't give up. I know it's hard. I know it's difficult. But present your body to Christ. Give yourself to Christ. I know you may think, well, it's never going to happen for me. I'm never going to get to a place where I, I, I overcome this struggle in my life. Present yourself to Christ. And you're good company whenever you say that, hey, there is a struggle here because Spurgeon, for example, which I, you know I love Spurgeon. Spurgeon said this once. He said, I must confess that I never would have been saved if I could have helped it. <laughs> Meaning, sometimes we get in the way. Our fleshliness is still there. We have to kill that old nature, but we need to look to Jesus to do it. That is why Paul, he had this thorn in his flesh. It was a thorn, man, and he prayed three times for God to take it away, and God said, no, but my grace is sufficient, for in our weakness, we can be made strong in him. Listen, I got some thorns in my life, too. Come on, somebody. Am I talking to anybody today? We got thorns, don't we? But we can use those thorns to the glory of God if we say, God, this is hard for me, but I ain't doing it in my strength. In your strength and in your power, we are overcomers. 
So we're not doing this in our own power. It's in the power of God. We're presenting our lives to him. So we present our eyes to God. What am I looking at? God, help me to please you. Presenting our ears to God. God, help what I'm listening to to be honorable to you. Presenting my mind to God. God, help what I'm marinating on day in and day out. We're presenting our tongue to God. God, help me what, I, what I'm saying to other people to be honoring and pleasing to you. We're presenting our hands to God. God, help me what I'm reaching for to be pleasing unto you. From the top of our head to the soles of our feet, come on, church, we got to present ourselves to God. And as we do this, man, he is honored and he is pleased. But in order to do this, we have to get back to that original question. Are we going to choose to serve sin or are we going to choose to serve God? We're going to look at a testimony video in just a moment, and then we're going to sing a, we're going to sing a song of, uh, of response. And here's how I want this to go. We're going to watch the video, and by the way, the video deals with, deals with uh, a drug addiction, so if you have any sensitivities there and you don't want to watch the video, that just giving you a heads up there. Um, I, don't think it's, I don't think it's bad, but every, that's subjective for people, so just letting you know. But it's a an amazing redemption story and what I want you to do is as he speaks of the the drug issue that he had you can insert there whatever in your life that maybe your struggles are and you can see as this video plays out how freedom in Christ can come if you would surrender all to him so we're going to watch that during the response maybe you're here you're a follower of Jesus and um, you just got some things going on in your heart that you know are not pleasing him and your heart is revealing that you are serving sin and you've tried to justify it you've tried to give yourself permission for it but it's eating you up during this response maybe you just want to spend time in prayer maybe you want to just sit where you are and pray maybe you want to come forward and pray I'm going to be right down front we had several come last service and and talk with me and I prayed with them you respond how God wants you to respond maybe you, you stand and sing with as much gusto as you possibly can however the Lord wants you to respond you respond that way if you're here and you're not a follower of Christ and today you're saying I need to I need to know him my way just simply is not working anymore I would encourage you to surrender your life to Jesus the Bible says that all who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved you can call on his name and you can know him and I would love to talk to you about that as well but the goal today is to respond to Jesus. Uh, draw your eyes to the screen as we watch this video together. It's a little red building outside of my house here. I call it my hell on earth. It's where I uh, went out and hid, done my meth. Life was crumbling before me. Uh, the principal told me that he had heard that I was uh, on a meth binge and uh, my wife was leaving me. The divorce was it was coming. I knew I'd been caught. July of 1995, I thought I was saved. You know what I mean? And doors were open on Sunday, Wednesday, and Sunday night, we were there. Out of high school, um, went to college and played baseball, and I hired on at Benton Academy for four years. That was my first job. I was a head coach. Um, gained some exposure uh, as a coach there. I'm, living the dream for me as a, as a baseball fan and um, a great wife, a great family. I mean, I, I had it, you know what I mean? I, but we started partying, you know what I mean, on weekends. You, you get wrapped up in, in the drinking and you stay out by the fire late at night. 
And one person shows up and has meth in his pocket. Uh, December 16th, I was called to the principal's office. Uh, the principal told me that he had heard that I was uh, on a meth binge and uh, my wife was leaving me and asked would I go take a drug test. Immediately, my lip went to trembling. Uh, I knew I'd been caught. Went to the casino on Saturday night. Um, woke up the next morning and found some bad dope. Started hallucinating. And um, it got to the point where I was so bad that the security started surrounding me. Um, I swung and hit two security officers. You got to think I'm whacked out of my mind on dope. And they roughed me up pretty good. And I get in the merch room and I'm blacking in and blacking out. But there's two officers in the corner of the, of the emergency room. This officer walked up to me and I'll never forget it. He leaned over my bed and he said, a husband and a father's not supposed to act this way. I remember rolling right over here. I mean, literally. Um, I don't know, I was trying to get to the, to the spot where I thought God would hear me. And uh, I was screaming to God, and I'd probably walk from here to the, I don't know, probably 10 yards up there, and just crying and screaming to God. There's, there's houses pretty close by. I didn't care, I'd had enough. Ultimately tried to go to rehab and walked out, just there again, thought I could do it on my own. And uh, ultimately, 11 days later, I hit my knees and uh, you know, I knew I needed a true relationship with Christ. He listened. <laughs> he helped me. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for another day here on this earth, dear Lord. I had to pray that we were a light in, in, uh, in a world of darkness today. I pray that we have seen Christ in us. I pray that you bless the food and use the food and nurture our body and our bodies your service. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Our relationship now is stupid crazy. I mean, I'm going to tell you something. When I tell you restored, redeemed, there, there's, it's, it's, it's nuts when you put God in the middle of something. Just look at life through a different lens now. You know what I mean? Um, you know, instead of my drinking, my smoking buddies, now I got a seven-year-old sidekick that's with me all the time. You know, um, but we pray at night as a family. <laughs> It's awesome. I mean, I'm in the bed with my wife every night. We're sitting at the supper table holding hands, praying. My son's blessing the food. We take turns, you know. <laughs> it's awesome. It, that being on the bottom, having Christ live in me now. Kids ask me at school, they ask me today, Coach, why are you so happy? And all I can say is because Christ lives in me. Thank <laughs> you.